going to make an assumption and you tell me if I'm wrong. You feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. I know it's true. There are always too many things to do and too little time. If you're like me, your boss will walk down the hallway and shout, go home, Beltran. That's why I am telling everyone about the 40-hour workweek with Angela Watson. Angela was a guest on this very podcast back in season one, and she shared her ideas for managing your time, teaching, and stuff to help you make the most of your time at work while making time for home too. But that was just the beginning. In her membership, The 40-Hour Workweek, Angela helps you focus on what matters to have a purposeful and productive workday and then go home. Angela helps teachers find, on average, 11 hours a week that they can take back for themselves while still being a great teacher. The best part is that Angela has a new membership, especially for coaches. She partnered with my friend and coffee buddy, Nicole Turner of Simply Coaching, to create the 40-hour work week for coaches. Check it out at buzzingwithmissb.com slash 40-hour week and get your time back. Coach, are you feeling like your teachers are just not interested in your support? Have you struggled to get into classrooms and impact positive change? Do your teachers turn the other way when they see you coming and put you off over and over again when you offer to visit their classrooms? So many coaches face these problems and they all revolve around one thing, the culture of coaching. If your school doesn't have a coaching culture, it can feel like you're bending over backwards to please everyone while actually accomplishing nothing. This summer, my favorite annual event, the Simply Coaching Summit, is all about building a coaching culture at your school. This online conference for instructional coaches is on July 11th, 12th, and 13th, and it will give you everything you need to change your school one step at a time. The summit is three days of keynotes, live workshops, pre-recorded sessions, and live meetups. I'm giving a keynote about how getting curious can change the culture of your school, but there is so much more to the summit that you have to see it for yourself. Head to buzzingwithmissb.com summit to save your spot. The best part is that you have six months to watch the videos. So if your summer plans didn't include some cozy PD at home on the couch, you can watch them when you're back to school. See you at the summit 2022. You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coach, welcome to episode 107 of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. This month is all about a place for everyone, where we're learning about different coaching positions, so you can decide if one of these is for you. So far, we've chatted with a math coach and a technology coach. Today, I'm talking with an SEL coach. Back in episode 91, I talked to Haley O'Connor of Teaching with Haley about SEL, social emotional learning, at all levels of the school. We talked about the principles of SEL, how it benefits schools, and what it can look like for students teachers, and coaches. Today, we're extending that idea by talking with an SEL coach who has made this her everyday focus. We're going to chat about what an SEL coach does, how you can prepare to become one, and what it looks like day to day. So let's welcome Maria Austin to the podcast. Welcome, Maria. Hello. Thank you for having me. I am so glad that you were able to join us today. Um, I know this is a tough year for coaches who are in the field to find time, so thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure. I am happy to be here. 
Could you introduce yourself to our listeners and talk maybe a little bit about who you are, how you ended up doing the work that you're doing and what kind of work you focus on right now? So my name is Maria Austin. Um, I currently am an instructional coach for, in Colorado, what we called effective needs programs. Um, essentially what that is, is um, these special education programs support students with emotional and behavioral disorders. Um, it's a funny story how I got here. So when I first started my undergrad program in the world of special education, I envisioned myself being a elementary resource teacher. I've always loved little kids and I'm good with them naturally, right? I was always a babysitter. Um, and within my student teaching placement, I was placed at, at an alternative high school for students with emotional behavior disorders. And I was scared to say the least. I felt like I, this is not what I envisioned myself doing. Um, and to spend a whole semester with students that were barely younger than I was, um, it was intimidating. And so I started out with kind of this rigid mindset and throughout the experience, I absolutely fell in love. I realized that this is where my heart was, um, that I could relate to students in such a real way. You know, math didn't have to be this abstract concept with, um, with made up scenarios and things like that. Um, in this alternative program, what we did is we embedded SEL into every core academics and it made learning real life. You know, so it was a lot of hands-on. We had mostly kinesthetic learners, you know, being an alternative placement, we needed a lot of hands-on, a lot of movement. Um, and through this, I had just such an amazing opportunity to learn and to grow, not only as an undergrad, but as a special educator. So through that, that drove my entire career. Um, since then, I spent two years working at an alternative school for students um, in the high school level with emotional behavior disorders. And then um, I switched to a general ed school, but I ran the effective needs program within the general education high school. So I got a little bit of the alternative setting, a little bit of gen ed. Um, when I made the switch to gen ed, it was like a whole nother world. I, I was kind of like hit with reality again that, oh, okay, academics are actually rigid academics, right? Um, it was the expectation to sit down in your seat for 45 minutes and to learn math through these made up scenarios. Um, and I struggled as a teacher. It was kind of a culture shock for me. And so I wondered how could I take the systems level of a general education high school and embed SEL strategies within that. Um, last year, as we all know, was very, very hard as, as educators and in the education system, and it continues to be. Um, so I was looking for a, not a way out of the education world, but a way to still fulfill my heart and fulfill my passion without being in the classroom or without having my own classroom. Um, I fell upon this very, very unique job. It's called an instructional coach for effective needs programs. So it's specifically within my niche. Um, and I had to jump on it. So I interviewed, I got the position. Um, this is my first year as an instructional coach. And it's also the first year that this position has been created. So um, we've had a lot of room for growth, a lot of opportunities to learn. 
What it has kind of evolved to now is there are 10 teachers within the pretty large district that I support that run effective needs programs. And I support those 10 teachers. That was all that I knew going into the job. <laughs> so that is so, such an interesting story. Um, it really does seem like everything that you had done led you to being a really good fit for this role. So all of your experience in the past actually really supported you in, in being prepared for this kind of job, even though I'm sure it's something that you can't completely be prepared for. Uh, it doesn't seem like any job is something you can be completely prepared for in education. You're kind of thrown in and you have to figure it out as you go, but it does seem like you had um, certainly a lot of experience that would have supported you in getting started. So I, you said you support 10 different teachers. I mean, these are at different campuses, right? Across your district? Correct. So I'm um, itinerant. So I have my central office and then I go and support the 10 different teachers um, at actually nine different schools. So I have two middle school teachers that kind of co-run the behavior program. Uh, so 10 teachers, nine schools. That is so neat. So my first question about this job is what does an SEL coach do? And I know that SEL coach is just kind of probably the short name that you've given to your role because that's something that people are going to go, oh, I, I can imagine a little bit of what that might look like. <laughs> sure, right, exactly. Um, it really depends on the campus. So, and the needs at each campus. So mm -hmm. um, where half of my time goes is actually at an elementary school where we've had a lot of teacher turnover specifically within the effective needs program. Um, so students who really need that direct instruction in SEL um, and need the consistency, need those relationships, right? Um, they've had four teachers, including myself, be, be in charge of this program. Um, so it's been a struggle. I support the teachers there about 50% of my time. So whether that's I spend the morning there, I spend the afternoon or, you know, a mixture of the both. What that has evolved into is we have a long term sub in the classroom. So I'm really helping her with best practices. We also have five paraprofessionals and um, I really am coaching them on how to implement SEL within academics. So similar to what I was talking about within my experience in the gen ed setting as a teacher, how to incorporate um, social emotional learning within those rigid academics such as math and English. So for example, um, when students are doing writing in this elementary school program, we, we have an SEL writing topic. Um, and so that writing prompt might be something along the lines of, um, I got into a fight with my sibling and my sibling called me this name. What are three things that you could do? Mm -hmm. um, within the structure of that, so kind of what coaches do in a general term is help with those tier one strategies, those um, instructional strategies, right? And what I have done to help this program is provided some supports and some structure, including a visual schedule, that under each activity that they do, there's actually four boxes for a check mark. Um, what these four boxes represent is the four expectations that they have. And so after each activity, not only are we reflecting on, oh, you did really well on that assignment, we're also reflecting on, were you respectful? Were you responsible? Were you safe? And were you a good listener? So really just helping the staff understand how to embed those SEL strategies. Yeah, I like that. I like that specific example that you gave as well. I think that's, that's very doable. 
So that's about half my time. Um, there's a lot of other, and that's only at one campus. So I really mm -hmm. have to divide my time on the needs. Mm -hmm. um, the really interesting thing about my job is typically an instructional coach supports struggling teachers or first year teachers. I support all of the teachers that run this behavior program. So it's not dependent on competency or on how well or if the teacher is struggling or not. It's just you're lucky if you are um, the teacher of an effective needs program, then you get the support of the instructional coach. So um, I really have to differentiate based on needs. So some other tasks that I'm currently tackling um, in a program, a high school program where the teacher is very, very strong and she has her SEL curriculum in place. She has really great data tracking materials. I am actually in coaching cycles with one of her paraprofessionals. He's right out of high school, so he has a lot to learn. So I'm helping him with best practices. Um, I'm supporting a couple schools and the best practices on progress monitoring SEL goals. So for in the world of special education, how are we tracking emotional and behavioral goals? Mm -hmm. um, so I work very closely with school psychologists and counselors um, and special education admin. I do have a first year teacher, so I really help her in her best practices, but for a first year teacher, she's extremely strong. So I have to practice what I preach and I provide a lot of SEL focus in my coaching. So it's a lot of building confidence, um, making sure that, you know, she's not just getting that constructive criticism or the constructive things as coaches, you know, we always wanna problem solve. <laughs> um, it's a lot of building her confidence as well. Um, some other fun things that I do, I have a monthly outing that I plan for my teachers. So I have three elementary school teachers, three middle school teachers, or I'm sorry, four middle school teachers and three high school, but they're all in different areas. And so they're all in different buildings. Mm -hmm. when, when teachers are tasked with handling probably the most significant behaviors, mm -hmm. It's hard at the end of the day to decompress with the teacher that you might share, you know, your neighbor teacher when, oh my gosh, they can't even imagine what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. So one of my goals, and I put a lot of time into this, is to establish community. How can I get my teachers together talking, whether it's through an email chain, if it's happy hour after work, um, we being in Colorado, we've gone for hikes. And so how can I create and establish this, this mode of community um, within separate campuses. Mm -hmm. Been a challenge, but I feel like by speaking different languages and understanding, um, not actual languages, but different teacher <laughs> languages, mm -hmm. um, understanding how they decompress, how mm -hmm. can I get everyone to decompress together? Um, so we've seen a lot of su success in that, I'm very proud to say. I also host a uh, office hour once a week. I'm sorry, once a month. So the first Monday of each month, they know that they can log on to Zoom. They can talk to me. They can talk to the teachers. And what that allows is really to hold space for this was really challenging, or I found this strategy that really, really worked. So um, a lot of my time is to, to have community to build that.
That's such a great goal, especially for the, the group of teachers that you're working with. And I love that your role is to work with every teacher because that's really what instructional coaches should be. Um, that is, I'm a huge proponent of coaches for all, not just coaches for new or struggling teachers, because then whenever they only serve that population of teachers, it's like a bad thing, right? You don't know, you're struggling. And that is a huge issue that we have with the image of an instructional coach. So then when a coach comes onto a campus, teachers automatically think, oh, you're here to help. If you're, help, if you're offering to help me, I must be doing something wrong. And that is such a problem. And that was a struggle I faced too. I mean, I have amazing, strong teachers that I support. And some of them were pretty defiant against me, you know? Yeah. I don't need you. You're a district person. Um, I'm good. You know, thank you for offering, however. And so it was a challenge at first to establish I'm not here to, you know, because anyone thinks that you're lacking skills. Mm -hmm. I'm here to really provide a model of how to integrate SEO into every, every component that what we do. So I have two follow-up questions about this and I'm going to ask them at the same time. I'm not going to ask them at the same time because that would be confusing. But what I want to know, how did you go about introducing your role to teachers so that they really understood why you were there? Because like you said, if they have this image of you as, you know, somebody that, oh, you're district person, you don't know what goes on here. I'm, you're not going to really be helpful to me. I don't need your help. Uh, what did you do to change that? So the first thing I had to do is define it. When I took the job, I didn't know what the district envisioned my role to be. All I knew is that I was gonna support these behavior programs. Um, very similar, and I actually share an office with, um, we have BCBAs. So we have board certified behavior analysts who work inside the district. And their role would be very similar to mine to go in and support students and um, their role is a little bit different, and, and it took a very blunt conversation to figure this out. Uh -huh. But once we sat down at the table, and I'm such a nerd for visuals, I love visuals. <laughs> so I actually sat down with them very closely and I said, look, let's make a Venn diagram mm -hmm. of what do you do? What do I do? And where are some things that we might overlap with? So it was an awkward conversation to have. Um, because I, it was, it's a brand new role. I'm a brand new face to the district. Mm -hmm. um, the BCBAs kind of thought, who is this? And are they stepping on my toes? You know, they're going to be coming into the schools that I service and doing very similar things. So where does Maria come in? Mm -hmm. um, essentially, after that awkward conversation, but super productive conversation, we figured out that my role as the instructional coach would really be like classroom tier one behaviors. Mm -hmm. And then the BCPA's role would be very specific student behaviors. Um, so specific interventions for the student, mm -hmm. very student focused, whereas my role would be very specific to the teacher and yes. more teacher focused. That makes sense. It's more focused on the instruction and making sure that the instruction is supportive of student behaviors and it's um, supportive of, of, of um, social emotional learning. And then they're gonna come in and, and define that, like what that looks like for each individual student, making sure kind of like IEPs, like very, very fine points to make sure kids get what they need. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so because we're using a lot of the same language, we had mm -hmm. to, to get on each other's page with, mm -hmm. if I say verbal aggression, what does that mean for you compared to what does that mean for me? So we had to make sure that we were defining things the same way we were using very same language because we're working with the same teachers and the same population. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so making sure that our communication was very similar as yeah. we present ourselves. Yeah, common language is very important. And teachers are already so overwhelmed with everything, just everything, that whenever one person says, like you're, one person uses one term, another person uses another term, they think, they're like, you're talking about two different things. And so what do you want me to do? You're telling me two different things. It gets very stressful. And um, just that alone can really hinder a teacher in working with a coach effectively. If you don't have a common language, if they don't know what it is that you're trying to express, and if they feel overwhelmed getting input from different people about the same topic, that I'm sure that was something you really had to overcome. Yeah, absolutely. And still, you know, we, we always fail forward. That's my favorite term to use. Right. And so if we have, you know, a miscommunication or, or something that just didn't work out the best, okay, great, how can we fail forward? And I'm kind of rippling that across the district as well. I'm hearing other teachers use that term. And so even within my role as an SEL coach, um, I'm modeling those things. I'm modeling a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not getting stuck up on, oh, well, this is the BCBA's job and not my job, right? right. We're having effective communication. We're talking about, hey, I know this might be awkward to talk about, but we gotta get it on the table. Yeah, after you defined what your role looked like for yourself, how did you go about sharing that with teachers? So my direct supervisor is the director of special education. So mm -hmm. because it's a brand new role, um, the director of special education had the first introduction and it was just a mass email <laughs> saying, this is Maria, this is her role. These are some of the things that she can support with. Mm -hmm. After she had that first introduction, I replied to that with a Google slideshow that I had made with a menu of support, okay. um, which included the Venn diagram, because mm -hmm. I'm sure if we had that question, others um, building leaders would also have that question. So it had things like how I'm going to meet with teachers. Um, it was very clear that just because I meet with an effective needs teacher does not mean that they are struggling. This is just an, an additional support that the district mm -hmm. is offering. Um, and it had my, yep, the menu of support that I could offer, whatever that might look like. Okay. And what kinds of support, that was my other question that I wanted to know, what kinds of, whenever you say you're supporting a teacher, what does that look like? Are you modeling? Are you observing? Are you, you know, recording observational data? Are you co-teaching? Are you co-planning? What kinds of things do you do with teachers to give them the support that they need? Yes, to all of the above. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, like I said earlier, it really depends on the need. Mm -hmm. um, there was one high school teacher that I co-taught with when she first entered the district. Um, she started a little into a little into the first quarter. And so because she was new, she has very strong skills, but said, I'm not sure how to establish my classroom. Mm -hmm. So it started off, her and I co-taught a social contract together. Um, and we really got the student input. It was a beautiful lesson. Her and I just, you know, it was a, a beautiful co-taught setting. Um, after that, that evolved into regular co-teaching. So every Thursday I would go in and I would follow her lead. But if I felt like we could embed SEL or talk about it a little bit more, I would jump in. Um, she would jump in at different times. And so it was this beautiful ebb and flow. Um, I do go through coaching cycles. So I went through coaching cycles with a couple elementary school teachers and even some paraprofessionals. Mm -hmm. I do model a lot 
for um, teachers K through 12. Um, one of my goals for this year was to establish a comprehensive K-12 SEL curriculum. So we went through, um, CASEL has a really great tool for finding um, SEL curriculum and it, it offers suggestions for different inputs of stakeholders that are important to the community, different things to look at, you know, depending on the culture and climate of your school and your population. So it was a really great tool that led us to the curriculum that we ended up purchasing. Mm -hmm. um, so we are starting to implement this second semester. It's been a rough start, you know, teachers are all over the place. So I have some teachers that are 20 lessons into the curriculum and they're loving it. And I have teachers who have not started the curriculum yet because they're finishing up what they had before, or they just haven't gotten around to look into the curriculum in order to teach it effectively. Mm -hmm. So. It really depends on what yeah. the teacher needs. <laughs> teachers who have not yet started, what might you do over, like, is there a point whenever you'll step in and say, hey, I'm here, I can help you plan that lesson to get you started here, or what does that look like? How are you gonna get them going? Yep, so one of the teachers um, that I have met with, and we don't have a coaching cycle. She doesn't really need the coaching cycle. It's been a lot of emotional support for her up through, you know, since in this part of the school year. I asked her, hey, have you, you know, dove into the curriculum yet? And she said, no, you know, I really do my SEL lessons based on the data that I have that I collect um, office referrals, you know, their, the student point sheets. She goes, I look at the data and then her and the school psych plan on the specific content that they're seeing. So I said, well, what about this? Because she's a phenomenal teacher. I said, what if you look through the table of contents, you know, you don't have to go through the curriculum in order. I know that's what they say they want, but mm -hmm. just to get a little taste of it, could you scroll through the contents and pick out a lesson that aligns with the data that you're seeing? Mm -hmm. And she kind of paused and she said, hmm, okay. And I said, if you let me in on some of those data conversations, then I can even help plan with you. You know, and so we had that conversation of what that could look like. Um, I'm actually going to be observing her next week, teaching okay. a lesson of this new curriculum. So um, like I said, each teacher is a little bit different mm -hmm. and I feel like I can push certain teachers to certain limits. Mm -hmm. um, and some teachers I, I, I have influence, but you know, we don't have control. So. No, absolutely. And it is nice though that you just have the 10 teachers because that does, you get to know them really well, I think, more so than like, you know, whenever I was coaching I, at my first school, I had, I don't know, 35 teachers or so probably and then paras and, you know, other, other, other support staff members. And it's a lot, it, it takes you a long time to get to know people and for them to get to know you because you spend less time with each person. So having 10 people that you spend time with, I think is beautiful because you can really build relationships with those people. That's great. Yeah, that was really my first semester on the job is mm -hmm. I'm, who am I, right? I'm not here to come in and tell you how to run your classroom. I'm here to observe and to learn from you. And so the first semester was really that. I had my district level connections I was making and maybe some things I was pushing and, and modeling and stuff like that. But for the most part, unless they asked me directly for support, I'm relationship building. Interesting. What did that look like? 
how did you build those relationships? Um, it looked a lot of what is your voice and what what can I voice for you at the district level? Absolutely. So being a district level instructional coach, mm -hmm. I, I kind of feel like the cool aunt of the behavior programs. I get to go in, have really great relationships, um, and then also have this relationship with with the parent, quote unquote, or district level mm -hmm. or building level administrators. And so one thing I, I really wanted to take with me as a coach is the experiences that I had as a teacher. Um, some of them, not the best experiences, right? <laughs> actually with the admin level. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I witnessed a lot of inequity for my students, unfortunately, um, because administrators don't have the the time, you know, to know each student the way that teachers know students. Mm -hmm. So they might not have known their behavior plan. Um, they might not have known all the ins and outs of these students. And as a building level, you know, you have to talk to district level and find those initiatives. And so it's kind of this trickle down. So I was the cool middleman. And what I found the most successful is really trusting my teachers and relaying their voice. Mm -hmm. the building and district level. That's mm -hmm. how I gained a lot of trust. That's mm -hmm. how I keep a lot of trust for my teachers. And once that trust has grown and grown and they see that, oh, Maria's here for, for the, my sake, mm -hmm. right? She's not here to push business, like business topics down or mm -hmm. district level topics down. She's here to raise my voice. That's what I found to be the biggest foundation of building a good relationship with teachers. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's a great strategy. Building relationships through valuing what they say and then being like a mediator because like a liaison, you could take something back and you have a voice that maybe the teacher didn't feel like they had. So that's, that's beautiful. What kinds of schooling or training did you find best prepared you for this role? Or it doesn't have to be schooling or training, but any kind of experience. I felt because I taught SEL for my whole teaching career, um, that embedding those SEL strategies within core academics is like a second nature to me. So I feel like first and foremost, it has to come from within, right? If you are someone who loves curriculum and loves to do things by the book, we need those people, that's great, right? An SEL coach has to have that love for SEL, for social emotional learning. Mm -hmm. um, I got my master's, a very unique master's program. I think there's only two in the, um, in the United States. So I have my master's in curriculum and instruction with a focus on trauma and resilience in educational settings. Interesting. Um, I absolutely loved my program. It's through Concordia University. There's a similar program through Bellarmine University. It's a small, um, I think religious school in Tennessee. Okay. I'm wrong about that. Bellarmine University. I looked into both of them and ultimately chose Concordia. Um, through that, I learned all about SEL. I learned about a lot of trauma-informed strategies, um, trauma in the brain. So that's kind of where I nerd out with is the brain science of all of this. And I feel like even for the students or the teachers who are very logical and say, I don't have time for emotions. I need to, you know, we need to focus on the curriculum and this is why. 
mm-hmm. I can come to those teachers and say, well, there's brain science. So let me try to speak your language, right? right? Let me, let me get you on this SEL because I know that you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I learned a lot through my program. I learned a lot through my experiences at the alternative settings. I think that's great. Having on-the-job experience, but the program is beautiful that it was so focused on exactly what you wanted to do. I feel like so many teachers, I know I certainly would have benefited from more of that kind of learning early on in my career. And so many kids that I worked with were very impacted by trauma, but we did not have any supports for that, nothing. And it was just, you just had to figure it out on your own and get through every day. And, you know, whenever people don't know what to do, they revert to the way that they were taught often or the way they were parented or the way that they parent. And that's not often the best way. So that's amazing that you've had all of that, that learning to help prepare you for the role that you're in right now. I'm sure that that's really beneficial to being able to share with teachers, different ideas, things that they can do that will support them with kids. Yeah, it is. Um, like I said earlier, I work very closely with BCBAs. Mm-hmm. And so they have the science ABA approach, right? That is, there's a lot of research behind that. It's been established. So we know that the ABA approach works. And then when we pair that with trauma-informed care or trauma-informed approaches, um, things can get a little gray in the middle, but mm-hmm. when we use the science and we use the love and the logic, it's like the recipe for success. It's amazing. How do you track the effectiveness or the impact of your coaching? I would love to hear about what you do to demonstrate the outcome of all the work that you do with teachers. So for me, I'm a first year coach. And so it's been a challenge, mm-hmm. um, especially when I first started, my direct supervisor is the director of special education. So naturally for a very large district, she was very, very, very busy. On the totem pole of priorities, I was pretty low and rightfully so. She has a lot of other important things to do. Um, So I took it upon myself to really look for a lot of resources um, and try to help myself. One of the things I found is called a transformational coaching rubric from Elena Aguilar. And I filled out this rubric about my practices at the beginning of the year, um, at semester, and then I will again at the end of the year. So that kind of tracks my effectiveness as a coach for me, not so much for my teachers, but more so I can look back and be reflective in how I am, how am I doing? In addition to that, um, Colorado Department of Education has what's called a quality indicator tool for serious emotional disabilities programming. So because a majority of the students who receive effective needs services are qualified under the disability of serious emotional disability, Mm -hmm. uh, we use this tool from our Department of Education. And it's a very, very long document. I think it has about seven different tabs at the bottom of quality indicators. From that, I narrowed down two different areas that I felt were good first year goals that Mm -hmm. Um, to have some um, some streamlining across the district and within our effective needs programming. So two things uh, were appropriate data collection methods and mm-hmm. um, an SEL curriculum or um, 
social emotional strategies are being taught directly to students. So those are the two that I chose um, to really streamline across the district, make sure all of my programs have these, make sure all of my teachers are implementing these two goals. So when I first started, I had eight out of 10 teachers um, with appropriate data collection in place. So pretty high. By semester, I got that up to 10 out of 10. So we're at 100% of my teachers are using appropriate data collection methods. Um, I did help support four out of my 10 teachers revamp their data collection methods. So even though they were taking data, maybe it wasn't really aligned with the goals that the student had. Or um, when we actually looked at the data, we said, is this meaningful? So mm -hmm. I actually helped revamp four teachers and their data collection processes so that that data is super meaningful and it can guide instruction. At the start of the year, only two out of my 10 teachers were implementing an SEL curriculum. So I realized that was pretty low. I felt like we definitely needed, well, we talked about in, earlier in the podcast, um, how important that common language is. Mm -hmm. So what I felt is a K through 12 curriculum would be the best way to go if we're gonna purchase a curriculum for the district. So after that purchase, now eight out of my 10 teachers are implementing. So I have two that haven't started yet, but it is on their agenda to start. One, like I said, I'm gonna observe next week. So that's exciting. So that's a little bit on how I, I collect my effectiveness. I love that. Yeah, I think that that's something all coaches have to really think about. How they're going to, it's hard to measure, um, but how they're going to sort of see, are they achieving these goals that they're setting? What impact are they making? Because if we don't know if we are hitting the mark, then we don't know what changes to make. I mean, we could just keep doing the same thing year after year and not see any improvements, but we won't know the difference if we're not trying to somehow track our effectiveness. Yep. Um, in addition, after each professional development that I give, um, through our professional development website, it actually mm -hmm. gives us a survey at the end. Was this useful? Was this not? And so um, maybe it's not directly working with my effective needs teachers, but any of the professional development that I give also, I get that feedback. So that's very helpful. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, PD feedback is always helpful. And then I love that because you can follow up on this. We know that PD by itself doesn't do anything really, uh, but if you follow up on it and you have this ongoing relationship with teachers that you could actually turn that PD and leverage it into the classrooms so that you know that they're actually you know, making something out of the learning that you've done together. That's great. What are the biggest challenges that you've faced in your coaching work to this point? Um, really, and I feel like all instructional coaches feel this, my role was not defined. It mm -hmm. was very broad. Mm -hmm. um, even though I'm in a very, very specialized niche within special education. So, you know, special education is already its own world and mm -hmm. I'm in my own world of this own world. So um, even though it was very, very specific, my role was not. They said, mm -hmm. okay, go support teachers. Right. So what was that? I kind of had to play around. Um, I had to fail forward <laughs> quite often this year. And um, one of the responsibilities that I found was to just hold space, which I, 
I didn't really understand it first. You know, I went in thinking I had to be a problem solver. Mm -hmm. So when you're teaching, this is how I've kind of processed it. When you're teaching, the students and the needs come at you and you have to respond, right? And so it's this constant, okay, intake, what, I'm, what am I going to output? Intake, what am I gonna output? As a coach, that mental processing has to be reversed. So you're looking for the work and then seeing the output. And it's very unique. It's going from a teacher to an instructional coach this, this first year, it was just the mental processes are different. Mm -hmm. you know, I was on problem solve mode all of the time when really what I found is a lot of my teachers just needed me to be there. They needed me to listen. They needed me to be their voice. Mm -hmm. um, some other challenges, specifically around technology, is that because I support 10 different teachers um, at all different ages and abilities, um, everyone's kind of at different places. So their knowledge of technology or their competency is different. I have younger teachers who, you know, they can make a, a Google slideshow within five minutes of whatever material that they want to present. And I have other teachers who struggle to email me back. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> finding not only how to speak their teaching language, but how to speak their technology language has been a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also about different people's boundaries, what they feel comfortable with and what they don't. So teachers are available at different times. Me being on 10 different campuses, that's 10 schedules I have to learn, 10 plans, 10 preps. Mm -hmm. um, so knowing how to communicate with them at effective times, is that a quick phone call compared to a Zoom call? Is it a text message if they're comfortable with that boundary? Um, or am I going to meet them in person? You know, how can I um, meet them where they're at in the best way possible? Specifically for our SEL curriculum, it comes in very large boxes. So each, each grade level has a large kit that they present to us. And then they say that they have digital resources. So for our our more tech savvy teachers that meant, oh great, I don't have to use this box of materials, I can do everything online, when that's not truly the case. Mm -hmm. So we're actually seeing an opposite effect where my teachers who are used to everything being digital, all of our math curriculum, all of our English curriculum is online, and now we have this SEL curriculum where there's, um, there's extra things to do online or printouts that you could print, but the sole curriculum, what you're really engaging kids with is paper pencil. Uh -huh. So we're almost seeing a flip-flop of, we would rather have it be digital. And my, my tech savvy teachers are struggling a little bit with the paper pencil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Especially after this last couple of years, people have made so many changes. Yeah. The way that they instruct, and then they may have to take it back a few steps. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just starting out as an SEL coach, and this is a new role to their district, what are the most essential things that they need to do to start out? And I think you mentioned a couple of things that would be helpful here, but I really want to make sure that you have time to talk about this. You know, what is what is so important for coaches to start out with if they're SEL coaches? The first thing is very, very clear defined role with specific goals of the district or the building 
with the measuring tools. Mm -hmm. So as we've talked about, I, I've kind of found those um, as I've started out and I'm still defining my role, but it was very hard and it took a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And it, it was a really big challenge in the beginning of the year. I found my groove since then, but I just think about how much more effective I could have been at the beginning of the year or even really focused on relationships or knew the approach to take had I known what I was actually looking for. Mm -hmm. So when I first started out, I found that quality indicator tool that I talked about earlier. And my first approach, approach with teachers is... Um, Pick one of the tabs at the bottom and let's go through it together. And that will be your SMART goal. And that's what we'll do our coaching cycle with. And that's how I'm gonna support teachers. Well, very quickly, I learned that a coaching cycle is something very extra for teachers to go through. And especially if you're already competent in a lot of those areas, why am I taking your time and my time to do that? Um, so if I had the, the goal set for my position already defined as establish a curriculum and establish data collection methods, I could have gone in there with that lens and saved a lot of meeting time. Mm -hmm. um, so I think first and foremost, that is the most important thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of, what are you trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. What are you there to do? What are you trying to accomplish while you're there? Yeah, I love that. Yes. The second um, especially for an SEL coach. My Bible has been um, the book Coaching for Educator Wellness by Tina Bugrin. If you don't know what that is or who she is, please, please, please look it up. She is phenomenal. Um, I was blessed to actually, she came to their district and she provided a professional development of that book for us. So she went through the first couple chapters. Essentially what it is, is understanding yourself understanding how you create boundaries, what are your values, um, what guides your work. And then once we have that internal compass, we are so much more effective and we can provide so much guidance. Once I learned that my compass might be different than yours and that's okay because we're ultimately heading in the same goal. Um, I still work through it. I still, I'll go back to different sections and I'll revamp it. Um, one activity that she has in there, and it's a workbook, so you can work through it and you're learning simultaneously. It's a wonderful tool. Um, one of the, the activities that I went back to had you write a couple different times. I think she offered 10 different spaces to write, what's your why? Why do you do what you do? And she said, write it a couple times. You'll know exactly when you get it right. Okay, so the first time I did it, I wrote a couple things such as, well, I do it for the kids. Um, I do it because as a teacher, I struggled and I want to help other teachers not struggle as much as I did. Um, I wanted to be the voice of teachers at, at the systems level and make positive change at the systems level. So all of these ideas are accumulating and circling mm -hmm. around. So I left it. A couple months later, I went back and I'm rereading these, these whys that I put down and it clicked to me, boom. I am the ripple effect of positive change. That's it. And so I found my why after looking at all of those things, it encompasses all of those ideas. And it just hit home for me. And 
I don't know if I can explain it in words, but it just, it really drives my work. So I have it on a post-it note in my planner and I see it every day and it reminds me of my why. So Coaching for Educator Wellness by Tina Bugren, amazing, amazing resource. It sounds excellent. It sounds really, really good because that is not something that you are taught as a teacher, as a, a new teacher to a school that is not usually even addressed, right? At all. Absolutely right. As a coach, you, that is not something that we really look at, that we learn about in any kind of coaching program or that's, I love that. That sounds like an excellent recommendation. Yes. Um, and then kind of similar, you know, if you don't go the book by Tina, whatever your own SEL curriculum is. So whatever that means to you, whether that's setting really good boundaries, your self-care practices, um, but we have to be practicing what we preach. You know, you can't have an SEL coach go in with, um, you know, with their own emotions not regulated mm -hmm. and in order to be effective, right? We have to learn how to regulate our emotions. We have to know our own social and emotional learning and be continuing to practice that as adults, as forever, I feel like the, the reflective practices is so important to who we are and the work that we do. Um, and in order to fail forward, right? SEL is becoming, thankfully, more and more popular, right? It's one of those buzzwords now. Mm -hmm. And so while I'm very, very happy for that, what I don't want it to become is just another checkbox. Yep, we have an SEL curriculum there. Um, I feel like we really need to be practicing it holistically and not just from 8.30 to 8.50, right? Yes, such good advice. Yeah, it's, so coaches are interested in transitioning to this role. Like they're not currently an SEL coach, but maybe they are an instructional coach or an academic coach or something. What can they do to move into that role? I think, well, first the role has to be created. And right. so look at local data in the areas of mental health and behavioral data. Find the need where it is and advocate, advocate, advocate. Um, it is a buzzword now. So hopefully district leaders and, and school leaders are aware of the need. And if they find someone whose passion is SEL, um, that's social emotional learning, then why wouldn't they take an amazing resource that they have and hopefully advocate for you in order to be in that role? So I think that's the biggest thing is find the need and advocate it. Come with data come with, hey, this is, this is where I see the need. Let's do something about it. Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, I think collaborating with counselors or behavioral specialists, school psychologists, whoever's already in a behavior type of role, mm -hmm. collaborate with them. See what kind of SEL strategies are currently being in place um, and, and go above and beyond. Start embedding SEL into all of the things that you do. I think anyone could be an SEL coach. I mean, if, if, you, if you're an instructional coach, the goal is to embed SEL within instruction. Mm -hmm. So I really think that any instructional coach could be an SEL coach if they just take the time to teach the teachers, look, this is how you can embed social emotional learning mm -hmm. into math, into reading. Um, there's so many different approaches and so many resources out there that I think anyone could be an SEL coach without the title. <laughs> okay. So how can people find you online or in the real world? Um, my email is mariaaustin11 at gmail.com. 
So if people have questions, I'd love to answer them. In the real world, if you're in Colorado Springs area, I'm often at the coffee shop Pikes Perk. <laughs> <laughs> so you can probably catch me there after work or, or early Saturday mornings. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, Maria. This was such good information about, about SEL coaching and about um, how to really, you know, get into those rooms and, and build relationships with, those, with relationships with those teachers. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. What an interesting job. You know, I think about my experience with SEL and, and, and before we knew what it was called, my experience with working with kids with specific behavior needs and embedding that instruction into my teaching. And I just think that would be such an interesting thing to do all day long to support teachers in this. If you really think about it, yes, teachers need instructional support. And yes, they need all the other kinds of things that we do as coaches. But really, don't they need behavioral support right now? <laughs> I mean, it is a huge need. So yeah, that's a great tip to bring the data and to make a justification about how that could benefit your teachers. If that's something you're interested in, try it out. And I would love to hear how that goes. If you're interested in learning a little bit more, one of the people that Maria mentioned today was Elena Aguilar, and she actually did an episode of this podcast. Back on episode 28, we did Coaching for Equity. And she shared about how you coach for equity, how you support teachers through that lens of equity. And it's a really great episode. Go listen to that one. And we also, of course, have my episode with Haley O'Connor. That's episode 91, SEL for All, from earlier in this season. I have a couple of resources for you, too. If you are a new coach or if you're a coach that wants a do-over and you would like to get started again, <laughs> and don't we all want to do over sometimes, I have a startup email course for you that you can grab. If you go to buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 107, uh, scroll down to the bottom and put in your email address there to get that email course sent right to your inbox. It's a few videos and a few articles that will help you do some basic things to set up the foundations you need for strong coaching. That's one place where you can go to get some support. I also have a resource for you in my TPT store all about SEL for teachers. So if you go to teacherspayteachers.com and you look for my store, Chrissy Beltran, Buzzing with Miss B, you can find one of my more recent resources is about SEL for teachers. I include activities, check-ins, surveys, discussion slides for you in that resource, SEL tools and activities that will help you support teachers through SEL in, in the way that we know that they need to be supported. Next week, we are hearing from a coach in the field and we're gonna do some problem solving together. So next week is a coaching call. You know, I love these episodes, but they also always make me a tiny bit nervous. Let's just be honest. Sometimes it can be a little bit stressful to not know where we're headed, <laughs> but we always come up with some good stuff because two brains are better than one. So listen into episode 108 next week for a coaching call. And until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching.